thankfulness and baptism. That's Those are today's topics on uh, Cross Defense. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Glad you're part of the fun. Here's the show. Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. That's what that music means. It's time for Cross Defense. How are you? I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Glad to be with you for the next hour, taking up curious theological topics to excite the imagination, to fill the imagination with the Lord's words of kindness and joy and love and peace. It is something that the Lord speaks to us so often in the scriptures through images and pictures. And so he would have those words strike our minds and our imaginations and have them simply f- fill up and, and bring them alive. I was We were talking about this last night. We had a Bible study over at Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church, and we're studying the, the Sermon on the Mount and, and the words of Jesus there. And we, and we were talking about how Jesus preaches to us with pictures. And those pictures, we need to almost be like children when we had these really active imaginations and we could start to see these things in our minds we kind of as as grown-ups we get i don't know cold to those things we get we kind of chokes us off and so we want to we want to come at the scriptures and we want to let the images and the pictures and the words that the lord uses there uh simply wake us up from the sort of from the dead from the slumber of the world into the joy that he has for us. And I had three topics to do that today, but alas, I left one of my books at home. I, I picked up this book called The Martyrs from that used bookstore that's in the in the Minneapolis airport. If you've ever flown through Minneapolis, there's this great old used bookstore that's there. And I was, oh, a few weeks ago, I was flying through, and so I was digging around that bookstore and found this book on the martyrs. And I was reading some accounts of the early Christian martyrs, which is, you know, I like to do that. And and I noticed something. This is amazing to me. I think it was probably the first 20 martyrs in their stories. All of them but one or two repeated the same words when they were brought before the judge. This pattern, this way of speaking of the early Christian martyrs came up, and it really stood out to me. I hadn't noticed it before. And those words were, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. So they would say, you know, the pro-council would say, hey, why don't you offer some incense to to Caesar? And why don't you say Lord Caesar? And, and why don't you come up here and just, you know, go back to your family? All you have to do is say this. And they would say, I am a Christian. And that settled it. They didn't apparently think they needed to explain anything else. I am a Christian. In fact, the famous story, the famous story of the is of this martyr Perpetua, who was a young catechumen. I mean young, she was maybe like twenty three years old. She she was married, she had a baby, a newborn that was still nursing. She was arrested coming out of catechism class. So the whole catechism class was thrown in prison. And Perpetua, actually, one of the reasons why she's such a famous martyr is that she writes down in a journal her own, uh, the, the events that are happening. And she has some of these wild dreams of like stepping on the head of a dragon to climb up a ladder and her fighting this big Egyptian gladiator. And, and, and so some of her wild dreams while she's in prison, she writes down as well. And Jerome published published that account for us later but one of the things that happens to perpetua is her father comes in to visit her in prison with her baby 
and says, hey, uh, Perpetua, don't you love your child? Don't you love me, your father? Don't you love your family? Why don't you just go and say that you're not a Christian? Why don't you just go and, and, and worship Caesar? No big deal. And then you can come home. Don't you, don't you love us? And Perpetua says to her father, do you see that pot over there in the corner? Uh, Dad, do you see that pot? Can you call that pot anything but a pot? And her dad says, no. And she says, well, neither can you call me anything other than what I am. I am a Christian. <laughs> oh, man. And there she goes. I mean, a week later, she's in the ring being mauled by a bull and struck with a sword. Now, that, so that's, that's the, I am a Christian. That's what I wanted. But I forgot the book at home. So anyway, scratch that. So we got two things to talk about today, and those two things are thankfulness and baptism. I think we'll take it in that order. Thankfulness first and baptism. After all, we set aside uh, next week uh, to talk about and for the purpose of being thankful. We've got Thanksgiving coming up, and so we want to talk about what it means to be thankful and to recognize what the Bible says about thankfulness, it's, actually, it's an incredibly rich topic in the Scriptures. You would normally think, okay, so we'll talk about thankfulness, and then when we finish, when that kind of winds its course, then we'll talk about baptism, because I posted up a video. Someone sent me a note about, hey, Pastor Wolfmuller, you know, we, they had visited a Baptist church, and they realized that, they, that we Lutherans and the Baptists have totally different doctrines of baptism, and so they said, hey, when, when a Baptist is baptized, are they actually getting the benefit of baptism or not, since they have such a totally different doctrine? So I made a little video, one of my little stop-and-go videos, driving along on the commute. And, uh, and it went nuts, and the comments are just wild. I mean, it's like, it's like the theological Wild West, the comment section of that video. There's a hundred comments from all over the place. I mean, not only just like other Christians denying the Lutheran doctrine of baptism, so some Catholics got on there, some Pentecostals got on there, some Baptists got on there, but then there's all these non-Trinitarians and, and mystics and Gnostics, and they're, I mean, it's the theological Wild West. And it occurs to me that the, that the world uh, needs to know about baptism, so we're gonna, we'll talk about baptism. That'll be our second topic. But first, Thanksgiving. Uh, sometime next Wednesday, President Trump will issue uh, a, or maybe it'll be the week after Wednesday, so President Trump will issue a thing saying, hey, we should all get together with our families and our houses of worship in order to give thanks to God. And so we will celebrate again in in this culture, in the United States, in our country, we'll celebrate Thanksgiving. And and I think it's an amazing thing for us Christians to think about that that the, that the that even the world, the secular state, thinks that it's important for us to set aside a day to give thanks. Everyone knows that Thanksgiving is important. I mean, after all, when we teach our kids to say the magic words, there's two of them, right? I mean, it's please and thank you. But but thankfulness, we want to. I think we want to push as Christians a little bit further and ask about the the biblical doctrine of thankfulness. And a lot will start to unfold. We can remember, for example, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, where it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. So that there is thanksgiving that we are to give to the Lord. And that's an, an amazing sort of thing to recognize, that the way we're supposed to stand before the, war, the, stand before the Lord 
is with thanks. I mean, that, that I, I don't know if, if that's an astonishing sort of thing, because we, we know we're supposed to stand before the Lord with awe. We know we're supposed to stand before the Lord with, with faith. We know we're supposed to stand before the Lord with, what, with, uh, uh, with reverence, maybe even with fear. But especially the Bible says we should stand before the Lord with thanks. And what does that mean? That means that the Lord has given us something. Th Thanksgiving, when we're giving thanks, it's because we have received a gift. And when the Bible sets us before the Lord to be thankful, it is, it's establishing this as the, as the chief way that humanity is supposed to relate to God. That he is the giver and we are the receivers of his gifts. Th that's this, that's this business of thankfulness. That the Lord is the, is the great giver of gifts and we are the receivers of gifts. Remember how Paul says in his, where is this, in his sermon to the, pastors in Ephesus and it says he's, he says it's more blessed to give than to receive remember that more blessed to give than to receive now, th this is in a way a blessing that we have of God that God is blessed because he is the chief giver he is the one who is having mercy on us he is the one that's looking down on us and with his own kindness saying here I want you to have something and he gives it to us Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 106, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now this is this is all it's an, it's not law this is this is gospel because thanksgiving is what happens after we receive a gift after the lord does something for us and we recognize how important this is in the new testament just for example remember how this went this parable in Luke chapter 17 no this wasn't a parable it was actually a thing that happened there was these 10 lepers where was this? They were, they were headed towards Jerusalem. This must be towards the end of the ministry of Jesus. He's headed north to south, coming back to Jerusalem uh, towards the end of his ministry. And as they go along, they, they encounter these ten lepers, ten all together, yelling to Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. And they leave. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot happening in this whole parable. I mean, Jesus is going to tell us that after they come back, one comes back, and that one was a Samaritan. Now, I mean, think about this, how, how there's these ten lepers, and they're not supposed to have any human society, but they can band together and, and try to help and take care of one another, so that there's Jews and Gentiles in this little band of Samaritans. Now, now in fact, let me push that a little bit further, since we want to, I mean, wander around a little bit today, and we'll wander a little bit off track. Here, here are these ten lepers. And they were Jews and Samaritans in this band of lepers. That Jews and Samaritans would never be seen together. 
you would never ever find a group of 10 men and some of them Jews and some of them Samaritans. They were, they both hated each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. They had old animosity. It went back generations, centuries even, and they were after each other. They were at each other's throat. The Jews would do anything they could to avoid the company of the Samaritans. And it was vice versa. It wasn't, you know, this was not one-sided hatred. It was two-sided hatred. But here, this group of 10 comes to Jesus and there's some Jews and there's some Samaritans together. And what brought them together is their leprosy. <laughs> this is amazing. That there's a way that, that people can be united around, around disaster. They can be united around affliction. They can be united around trouble. And I think there's something spiritually edifying for us to think about there because one of the ways that the devil works in our own world is he always wants to divide up people based on whatever there's, there's 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 racism and but that that kind of there's there's the abstract form of racism there's just the uh, I'm going to be different than you I'm 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 better than you I'm different than you I'm afraid of you or whatever it can happen politically it can happen economically it can happen whatever but there's a way that when you realize that you're a leper you don't you're willing to hang around with other lepers all the other all the other things break down. And there's something important for us as Christians to recognize that we're sinners. And we, <laughs> you know, this is, this is that, that everyone you encounter is also steeped in this sinfulness. And so we have this fellowship with one another, recognizing our problems. Anyway, Jesus says to these ten guys, go show yourselves to the priest. And they go, they leave before they're healed. And as they're going along to show themselves to the priest, they, they're healed of their leprosy. And one comes back. One, just one. And Jesus says, where, where are the other guys? Well, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is, this is Luke 17, verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And this one was a Samaritan. Now there's some there's a profound truth in this text. And and I don't want to I don't want us to miss it. And the truth is this that thanksgiving involves turning around. Uh, uh, here, let, me, let me let me see if I can picture it for you like this. Whenever I wake up in the in the morning, this happened to me distinctly. This happened to me this morning. I, I jumped in the car. I was I was driving down I thirty five, you know, watching the turtles pass me on the side of the road as I'm stuck in traffic there. And I'm thinking about all the things that have to happen today. I mean, there's a bunch of emails to send, a bunch of phone calls to make, a handful of follow up conversations to have from church yesterday. There's there's conversations to uh, to be had in the office, getting ready for some table talk radio and cross defense and issues, etc. Later on, and doing a little bit of media work on some video stuff, and so I've got all of these lists of things to do, and I'm I'm rolling along through the traffic, and I'm thinking of all these things that are waiting for me, and who knows what'll be be here when I get into the office, and it just sort of weighs on you, you know, it just sort of. It kind of when you look forward to the things that have to happen and all the things that haven't been done and all the things that are sitting there in front of you, you're it's it's it causes worry. It causes distress. 
but to give thank and I and I realized well maybe you know Thanksgiving is coming up. Carrie said you could talk about Thanksgiving on Cross Defense. You like to talk about that. And I said that's a good idea. So I started meditating on Thanksgiving and I realized that that what Thanksgiving does is it forces you instead of looking at the things that are not there, you got to turn around and look at the things that are there. You you got to you got to instead of always having our sight on what's missing, you got to you got to put your sight on what is present. And I realized with sort of a stunning burst of joy that the Lord has put me into this world to to talk about his goodness and his mercy in Christ. That all these things that I have today are occasions to speak the name of Jesus and to bless people with that. That that I that I have uh, uh treasures of God's mercy beyond beyond my asking or even imagining. I mean, can I you couldn't even couldn't even imagine something like this, the privilege to sit here and, and talk to you guys on, on cross defense about, about the Lord's word of thankfulness or to sit and study 1 Corinthians to be able to talk about it later on on the other, on the other interview. This is, a, this is an amazing treasure that the Lord has given, and there's so much to be thankful for so that thankfulness involves first turning around and, and, and not always looking at what's not but looking at what is. And not only is that looking at what is involved turning around, it involves taking our eyes off of ourselves and putting them on Jesus. Rather than seeing this man's own leprosy, which would always have absorbed him, he, he falls at the feet of Jesus. This is just the beginning of the anatomy of Thanksgiving, and we're going to keep talking about it. We've got to take a quick break, though, now. You're listening to Cross Defense. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. We're going to take a, a quick break and come back and try to dissect thankfulness a little bit more, especially with Paul's help in Romans chapter 1. So stay tuned. More on thankfulness and then baptism right after this. You're listening to Cross Defense. Schumacher's new illustrated book, Lord Thee I Love With All My Heart. It's published by Gloria and joins a great Lutheran hymn and beautiful illustrations. I did. We have a copy, and as a parent, I think it's a beautiful visual piece for teaching a great hymn to my child. You can find out more about Kelly Schumacher at onusdayarts.com. That's A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. For more information on the new book, visit Gloria.com. K-L-O-R-I-A.com. Free to be Faithful is a religious education and awareness campaign of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Part of that campaign is a 30-minute in-depth examination of issues impacting the faithful, aired the third Wednesday of each month on Worldwide KFUO. I'm moderator Kip Allen. I examine these issues from a Christian point of view with experts from both the religious and secular worlds. Listen live or on podcast at kfuo.org. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. 
Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Uh, very thankful today. Uh, it, I, how easy is it to forget to be thankful? Now, I, I, you, for you too, I, I mean, the answer is yes. Because the devil, can you imagine that the devil is assaulting our thankfulness? Because he knows that thankfulness. I mean, it's not just it's not just good manners. It cha- it it totally changes your perspective on on life. We're talking about these ten lepers. They were all cleansed, no doubt. All of them were grateful for this, but the one is thankful. That is, he turns around. His eyes are he he recognizes not what what wasn't, but what is, and 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 not himself, but he looks at Jesus. And this is the true the true difference between Christian thankfulness. Now, this is not a technical term, but I I'm, I'm always trying to figure out how to distinguish between. What the world considers, because all the time people are talking about gratitude, having an attitude of gratitude, that whole thing. You got to be great. You can buy great. You can buy gratitude journals. Some of you driving around here are looking at each other because you have a gratitude journal. You went and bought one at Barnes and Nobles, and now you got to write down your three gratitudes every day. Here's three things I'm grateful for. That's fine. That's good. But but Christian thankfulness looks beyond the goodness of the gift to the goodness of the giver. This man is thank- he turns back and he goes to the feet of Jesus and he thanks God for that. Because because Christian thankfulness not only recognizes the good things that we have but that these things come from God. They aren't they just accidentally show up. It's like d- drops from universe dew or something like that. I mean these gifts that we have are from God who loves us. The giver of every good gift who dwells in inapproachable light as James teaches us to confess. So this this thankful leper goes to the feet of Jesus, this thankful cleansed leper, and there he gives thanks, and Jesus commends him. He says, go, your faith has made you well, saying that faith and thankfulness are are related to one another. They're married to one another. They they go hand in hand. In fact, St. Paul tells us, this is in Philippians, that, that thankfulness is an antidote to worry. Now this is that, that worry and thankfulness are always pushing against each other. I don't know, a better radio host would have a good picture of this. But you think of like, you know, two, think, this is tug of war. That's what, that's the picture we're looking for. And you're watching a, a, a game of tug of war and it's going back and forth. And on one side is thankfulness and on the other side is worry. And worry is pulling thankfulness into the pit and then thankfulness is pulling out worry. So St. Paul says it like this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's thanks it's the, so that thanksgiving is pushing out worry. You see, do you see how that works? Now, this is, I think this is a, just a practical sort of thing. So now think of all the things that you're worried about, right? You just do this. Think about all the things that you're worried about. And then think about all those things that you have around the things that you're worried about that you ought to be thankful for. I mean, I was, I was trying to figure out what to talk about on cross. This is just an example. This is how it goes with me. I don't have these shows planned out years and ahead. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think every week. Hey. What would be helpful to bring to the people? 
what would be helpful for the cross defense? And I said, you know, worry about that. Hey, what if I, what if the, what if the, the, the button clicks on and I'm supposed to be talking and I got nothing to say? My wife says, when is that? When has that ever happened? Actually, you should, <laughs> but you know, you worry about this. But then it's, to take, t- okay, so that's the thing to worry about. But then to say, what's in the neighborhood of that that I can give thanks for? Look at this opportunity to sit here and have a conversation with you about the mercy of God. That is incredible, and it totally changes things around. Just so to so to, so to do the same thing to think of the thing you're worried about and think of the thing in the neighborhood of it and to give thanks to God for it and it starts to assault your worry it starts to diminish worry so it's like your worry starts to shrivel up thankfulness is the balm there's a healing that happens there Paul writes now this is a text I wanted to look at. Because in Romans chapter 1, there's two very important texts on thankfulness. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, these words, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul writes 13 letters, epistles, in the New Testament, and in all of them but two, he begins with thanksgiving. The exception is, I think, Galatians. I know Galatians, and I think the other one is like uh, First Timothy. I can't remember exactly. But in almost every one of his letters, he begins with thanksgiving. He thanks God, and he, and he always thanks God for a couple of specific things. He thanks God for the faith and the love and the hope that the Lord has given to all of the churches. And I, I, this, though, in Romans chapter 1 is the only place he says it like this. And he says, first, I give thanks. And I do not think, now it could mean that Paul says, okay, first, I'm going to give thanks. And then second, I'm going to write this letter about all this doctrine. And then third, I'm going to tell you what I'm up to. And then fourth, I'm going to send it to you. I mean, I, I, that could be that he's just making a list. There's no second, though. There's no next. He just says, first I give thanks. And I think that that can be taken more generally and more broadly and more programmatically is that Paul sees that the Christian's first order of business is to give thanks to God for whatever it is that they have. Now this, I'm afraid, is going to strike a lot of us. It strikes me as law because it shows me my own sin. Because how many of us would just, would be, you know, say I, say I die tomorrow and, and someone's trying to figure out what to put on the on the tombstone and how many people are going to say okay well, you know what we should put on the tombstone is brian was thankful <laughs> i mean is that is that what marks us is that what defines is that what when people think about you is that what they think of of your of your thankfulness of your constant thankfulness to god for the goodness and good gifts around you Probably not, but that's what Paul is saying, that first, the first thing for us, both in priority and I even think in chronology, the first thing that we ought to do with our own lives, with our lips, with our minds, with our hearts, with our everything we've got, the first thing that we ought to do is give thanks. And the first thing in the morning, remember Luther wants to teach us this, he says, he says, when you wake up in the morning, bless yourself with the sign of the Holy Cross and say the creed and the Lord's Prayer. And then if you have time, say this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And then the last thing we do when we go to bed, same sort of thing. Bless ourselves with the Holy Cross, the creed, the Lord's Prayer, prayer for ourselves and others, intercession and so forth. And then this, I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. Thanks. 
It's the it's the alpha and the omega of our Christian activity. It is the morning and the evening words that they are they're always there for us. And I don't wonder if there's when there's trouble. Maybe there's just I mean, you know, trouble at school or trouble in conversations with husbands and wives or trouble in this place or that. I don't wonder if it could we could simply find find something like a little bit of relief and health because that trouble is caused from a lack of thankfulness. And how how can the devil get in there when 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 husbands and wives are thankful for each other? When parents are thankful for their children and children are thankful for their parents when when a student is thankful for their teacher when a boss is thankful for their workers how when there's a true and genuine thankfulness not only gratefulness to the person but thankfulness to God for them how how much devil can the how, how much trouble can the devil cause it's stunning now again in chapter 1 in Romans Paul is going to talk about thankfulness even more when he talks about, where is this? He's talking about the unbeliever. And Paul, his argument in Romans is really quite stunning. He's going to start by throwing everyone on the big heap of sinners. This is kind of Romans chapters 1, 2, and the first half of chapter 3. He's going to say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, everybody's a sinner. It's like you're in the studio audience of Oprah. <laughs> everybody's a sinner. <laughs> I mean, there's no no one is righteous. No, not one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. No one is righteous. Oof. Poof. Paul is just, you know, making generalizations here. It's, he's just blasting away at us for being sinners. And as he's explaining this, as he's explaining how it goes, He's talking about how the goodness of God, one of the reasons why we can confirm everybody in, under sin is because the goodness of God is known in creation. And, and thankfulness comes into the argument. Now, this is a little surprise, but listen to how this goes. This is, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodly... Now, you're not supposed to say that word anymore these days, by the way, the wrath of God. Paul didn't get the memo. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in these things that have been made. So they were without excuse. Now this dogmatically, is what we call the natural knowledge of God. Remember, there's two ways to know about God. There's the natural knowledge of God and the revealed knowledge of God. The natural knowledge of God is what we can know about God from nature, apart from the Scripture. The natural knowledge of God comes to us in two ways, externally and internally, externally through creation and internally through the conscience. And there's three things that we know about God through nature, that namely he is good and big and mad. <laughs> Maybe we do it this way. He's big because he created the world. He's good because he designed it all perfectly, and he's mad because we're messing it up. If you want to, if you want three adjectives to describe natural religions, God, that's it: good, big, and mad. That's that's how you get there. And so, so Paul says, look, this these things can be known. They have been able to be known from the very beginning. 
from creation itself through observation. Everybody can know that God is good and big and mad, but the, the, the cause is not salvation, but rather condemnation. And because the things of God can be known, people are without excuse. That's what he said. So they are without excuse for although this is where he goes on to get to the thankfulness part in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now just just throw yourself in the crock pot with that verse and let it stew a little bit. That the, that the mark of the pagan godless mind that rightly deserves God's condemnation is that it did not honor God or give thanks to him. It didn't recognize God, and it didn't recognize his gifts. It didn't recognize the goodness of God, and it didn't recognize the kindness of God. And the result of, ha of, not, of not honoring God or, or of not being thankful is that they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and Changed the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and bugs, and then it gets worse. Now, I, I think that this is an amazing thing to just put these things against each other, to say, do you know what the opposite of a futile mind is? A mind that's thankful. You know, the opposite of a, of a darkened heart is someone who's thankful. <laughs> the thankfulness is the antidote to foolishness. We, we think that it's wisdom, right? I mean, we think that the opposite of being a fool is being wise. <laughs> but, but Paul says the opposite of being a fool is being thankful. Being able to recognize God and his gifts in everything that he's given. <laughs> that, that is amazing. Now, thankfulness... And here's, here's maybe what we'll end on with this thankfulness business, because we want to talk about baptism, right? I got all these people going crazy about the doctrine of baptism, so we want to kind of, we want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. But what Paul is getting after here with this, with his thankfulness is he's saying that, that thankfulness is right there next to faith, and faith is what justifies and saves us, and it's by faith that we cling to the Lord's mercy and kindness and love, etc. Now the problem is we hear this, this call to thankfulness, a severe law, because here we are all gloomy and unthankful and ungrateful and all this sort of stuff. And I just say, man, I'm not very good at it. Well, if you're, if you're not thankful, you should repent. And then you, you should be thankful this way. The thankfulness we want to recognize is the result of seeing uh, the goodness of, a, of, of God in his gifts. It's, just, it's, it's like this. The love of God is a reciprocal action. It's not. Hmm, let me let me let me let me back up and see if I can get it this way. It is not enough. The command "love God" does not induce a love for God. In fact, if we just have the raw command, "Hey, buddy, love God or else," not only does the the love for God not result from that, but the opposite results from it. If you want to, if you want to really love God. The thing to focus on is not th your love for God, 
but rather God's love for you. So that John says it like this, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself as a propitiation for our sins. In other words, our love for God comes not from our trying to love God, but rather from our being redeemed from our sins by the death of Jesus on the cross and recognizing that that comes from the love of God. And then when we recognize that God is for us and not against us, that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that, that God is bleeding and dying for us, when we recognize that, then love springs up. And so does thankfulness. So that we can, we can find a thankfulness for God and all of his gifts, not by trying to kindle the fire of thankfulness in our own heart, but simply by recognizing all the good things that the Lord has done. Thankfulness springs up naturally from our hearing of the gifts that God has given. That he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also together give with him give us all things? So David says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. When you recognize that the undeserved mercy of God is for you, and that it will last forever, and that your sins and your failures and your offenses will not be counted against you, but that the Lord will bring you from this life to life eternal, and that in the midst of all of your troubles and your distress in this life that the Lord is on your side, then thankfulness simply springs up from the fertile ground of the gospel. So we have the command to be thankful, but we get there not by trying to, trying to squeeze out thankfulness, but by fertilizing the tree of faith, by meditating on the goodness of God. All right, I'm getting the alarm from the studio there that it's time for another break, which I can hardly believe. But we'll do that. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and we'll talk about baptism. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. This will be a short one. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, right in the middle of the show. Thanks for enduring this interruption. I want to point you to a couple of other resources that you might find interesting. I'd love We're about to talk about baptism, and I'd love to have you guys jump in on the conversation on the YouTube channel. If you just Google Wolfmuller on the old YouTubes, you'll find the conversation about baptism. And I'd love for you guys to jump in, put your thoughts there, see what's happening. Also, if you're hanging around with a bunch of money, you know, churches taken care of, families taken care of, and you're like, what else can I do with all this money? KFUO and Cross Defense in particular is looking for sponsors, so you can send me a note at wolfmuller.co slash contact, and we can figure out how we can work together for day sponsorships or show sponsorships, that sort of thing. Uh, if that's of interest to you, please let me know. Look forward to hearing from you. Back to the show. Welcome back to CrossFence. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Thankful that you're... Oh, see that what I did there? Thankful? We're talking about thankfulness? But now, not anymore. Don't trick me. It's time for baptism. Your host here on CrossFence, broadcasting live from the Tower Studio at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Whenever you're hanging around Austin, Texas, make sure to come by, hang out. Just got to come see the studio. I got to clean it up a little bit. I got wires and cords everywhere. Oh, well. Uh, you can't see that good thing. This is radio, but uh, pastor here at St. Paul Lutheran Church, also pastor of Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church, 
I just signed Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church, but you couldn't see it because, again, it's radio. There you go. We're talking about thankfulness and baptism. A couple of, on Saturday, in fact, last Saturday, I, I had a question from someone. They asked me, hey, uh, Pastor Wolfmuller, visited a, I'm a Missouri Synod Lutheran. I visited a Baptist church. They had baptism there, and I realized how different their teaching of baptism was. They believe that baptism doesn't forgive sins, but it's an outward sign of an inward grace. And I had a question. Does that mean that they're baptized? Is that a true baptism? If they have the wrong, if they have the wrong doctrine, I answered the question on a little YouTube video, one of the stop and go theology. If you're interested in, in more theology, by the way, you can find those videos and, and all the other stuff at wolfmuller.co. So I answered and then the internet all rallied together, all with one voice and said, you Lutherans are crazy about baptism. I mean, the comments on this video, it's the wildest thing I've ever seen. It's like the theological wild west out there where everyone comes and has a has an opinion about why this video on baptism is wrong. We didn't say that much stuff. I just said the validity of baptism is bound up to the confession of the Holy Trinity, which is what Jesus tells us when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And look, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So I realized that the Internet needs some teaching on on baptism. <laughs> the, the, the whole world does. That. But it's interesting to me now, now to kind of ease our way into this, before this conversation gets guillotined by the clock. Stephanie's in there. She's going to warn me when time gets short. Uh, but to ease our way into this whole thing, we want to realize that baptism is like the apex predator of doctrines. Now, what do I mean by that? I was watching one time when I was a kid, like one of the Nova specials or National Geographic or something. And they were talking about the, uh, the, the food chain. And you can be at the bottom of the food chain or the top of the food chain. And what happens is if there's any sort of pollutants or chemicals or poisons or things like this, that they get into the food chain, and, but they don't really show up until you get to the top. So if you get some sort of like mercury in the ocean or something, it doesn't really bother the algae. You find trace trace amounts in the algae or the plankton or the little shrimp that eat the plankton or whatever. The little fish have a little bit more and the bigger fish have a little bit more. And then the big fish, it gets really concentrated until you get to the sharks. And then the mercury levels are almost catastrophic. So that the higher up the food chain you get, the more concentrated the pollutants get. Now, I think that's the same thing with theology, and that the apex predators of theology are baptism and the Lord's Supper. In other words, whenever you get any little error in your theological system, they're going to show up by the time you get to baptism or the supper. If you've got a bad doctrine of the Holy Trinity, it's going to show up when you get to baptism. If you've got a bad doctrine of repentance or the role of the will in conversion or the efficacy of God's Word, or you have some sort of Gnostic sort of stuff that wants to say that if it's physical, it's law, only internal things can be gospel or whatever, all those errors are going to show up when you get to baptism. If you've got a bad doctrine of the incarnation or a bad doctrine of the ceremonial law or a bad doctrine of the atonement of Jesus through his death on the cross or whatever, those errors are going to show up when you talk about the Lord's Supper. If you've got a bad ecclesiology, doctrine of the church or doctrine of preaching or anything else like that. So that baptism and the Lord's Supper are like the apex predators of theology. You can look at them and it gives you a sense of what's going on in the whole theological ecosystem. 
Now, that's just my theory, but I think it makes sense because when the Lord wants to give us all of these gifts, give us all of these treasures, he gives them to us in these two ways, baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's not an accident that baptism and the Lord's Supper are so important because Jesus says, hey, you know what I want you to do? I want you to baptize, and I want you to eat and drink my body and blood. Those are the things that he tells us to do. Right, right when he's there with his disciples, he's about to ascend into heaven, and he says, hey, you don't know what I want you to do? I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And then Jesus says on the night when he was betrayed, take and eat. This is my body. Take this and drink it. It's my blood of the New Testament poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this often in remembrance of me. So that we do these things, baptism and the Lord's Supper, because Jesus told us to. And because in them he gives us the forgiveness of sins. This is my idea of, of desert island Lutheranism. I don't know if I told you guys this before, but I don't expect you to remember everything I've ever said. So let's pretend like I've never even said this. <laughs> you and me. Let's just go along. Stick with me here. Let's pretend like there's a handful of Christians, and they show up on a desert island. They never read the Bible. For some reason, they have faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit has given them faith through the preaching, but they've never read the Bible before. They've got no theological tradition. They just kind of, they've got faith, but they don't have any, any real doctrine or theology. So they, they read the Bible. They know it's God's Word, and they start reading this thing, and, they, and what, what are they going to be? In other words, if we come back in 10 years, what is their church going to look like? Are they going to be Pentecostal? Are they going to be Baptist? Are they going to be Roman Catholic or what? What are they going to be? Well, here's my contention. They're going to open that Bible and they're going to recognize that even though they're Christians, they're still sinners. That's clear enough in the scriptures that they are sinners and they break God's law. So they're going to say, you know what we need? We need some forgiveness. That's what God has to give us for us to be Christian, forgiveness of sin. So they're going to start poking around to say, where does, this, uh, where does the Bible talk to about forgiveness of sins? And you know what they're going to find? They're going to find three things. They're going to find this, John chapter 20, Jesus breathing on his disciples saying, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Blam. And then they're going to go reading in Matthew 26, these words. Jesus says, this is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Blam. And then they're going to read in Acts chapter 2, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. Rise and be baptized and have your sins washed away, Acts chapter 10. Blam! And they're going to say, that's where the forgiveness of sins is. The forgiveness of sins is when we forgive one another in the name of Jesus. Absolution is what we call it. Maybe they wouldn't know to call it absolution. And then they'd say, and then this meal that's here, that when we eat the body and blood of Jesus, that gives us the forgiveness of sin, so we're going to do that all the time. Maybe they call it the Lord's Supper. Maybe they have a different name for it. I don't know, but they're going to be doing it. And then in this baptism, in the, in the water applied in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, there's the forgiveness of sins, and so they're going to be baptizing. In other words, you're going to find a church... Where, they're, where they have baptism and confession and absolution and the Lord's Supper as their distinctives for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, they're going to be Lutheran. I mean, that's all it is to be Lutheran, is it says, hey, these things forgive baptism, 
confession and absolution, the Lord's Supper, these forgive sins. If you find another church that teaches that, <laughs> then, then let me know. I mean, because that's, that's what it means to be a Lutheran, is to believe that those are, that that's true, that the Lord uses those things to forgive sins. Now, here's another funny thing when it comes to the doctrine of baptism. Whenever I'm talking to people about baptism, most often the, the, the objection that I get is, hey, I thought you guys believed that we're saved by grace through faith. How can you believe that baptism saves? Like Peter says, 2 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you. They don't actually say that. I just added that. But how can you believe that baptism saves if you, be, if you believe it's by grace alone and faith alone? Now, now, there's two things here. Number one, we ought to get our doctrine of baptism from the Bible passages that talk about baptism. Whenever I found anybody telling me that the Lutheran view of baptism is wrong, it's not with the passages that talk about baptism, but it's with other passages, like the thief on the cross or like the, the passages about justification or God's grace alone in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 or Romans 3.21 or whatever. In other words, they're arguing the doctrine of baptism from the passages that aren't about baptism. Now, I believe those passages tr also are true, but if I want to get the doctrine of baptism, why don't I look to see what the Bible says about baptism? And it says all sorts of wonderful things. In baptism, you put on Christ, Galatians 3. You were buried with him through baptism into death, Romans 4. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, Mark sixteen sixteen. There's the, the baptism now saves you, Second Peter three twenty one. There's all these glorious passages about the gifts of baptism. Well, let's look at those passages and sort out our doctrine of baptism from those passages, and then let's go back and make sure that we're matching it up with all the other ones. Now, it turns out that the main problem that people have with with the Lutheran doctrine of baptism, as they say, that it's a work, and therefore it cannot save. But I'm going to take a look at this Ephesians chapter 5 text, which is great. This is where Paul is talking about Christ and the church. And he just cannot help himself uh, from talking about how it goes with us and Jesus. Wives, love your husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands, excuse me, as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Then this, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, th now that washing of water and the word, you heard that there, that's what Paul's talking about. And who is doing the washing? I mean, let's just not, let's not get fancy here. Let's just, let's just take what Paul is telling us. Who's doing the washing? The answer is Jesus. And who is being washed? The answer is us, Christians, the church. So that Jesus is doing the washing so that he might present us to him. If baptism was a human work that we were doing, then surely you would be right to say baptism can't save. But if baptism is Jesus washing us, Jesus cleansing us, Jesus sanctifying us with his water and with his word by the forgiveness of sins, then not only can it save, but it's got to save because that's what Jesus does. He saves. He is the Savior.
This is the oil of Olay function of baptism. It says it here. She, she doesn't have any spot or wrinkle or any such thing. In other words, baptism makes us holy and perfect and pure in the eyes of our Lord Jesus. Now, I think when we answer that question, we can really then start to consider the great gift of baptism, that baptism is not our work, but the work of Jesus. And, and therefore, it can have all of these promises that the Scripture gives to it. It's new birth. It's adoption. It's putting on Christ. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's rescue from sin, death, and the devil. It's adoption into God's family. It's all of these things. Because it's not our doing. It's the Lord. The one who died for us and won the forgiveness of sins for us on the cross brings that forgiveness to us in this great gift of baptism. Ah, there's so much to say, but here we are, out of time again. Well, we'll have plenty of time to consider it next week and in the resurrection. God be praised for his word and for his kindness. And thanks to you for sticking around and joining me for the show. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have things, comments, questions, things you want to talk about, send me a note, wolfmuller.co slash contact. And you can find on the website tons of other theological stuff, more episodes of Cross Defense, some YouTube stuff, articles, blogs, all this sort of theology that you want to consider, keep you going, fighting against the devil's temptation to theological boredom and indifference and rejoicing in the clarity and the peace and the kindness of the Lord's Word. That's what we want to do in Cross Defense. That's what we want to do with our whole life. May God grant it for Christ's sake. Thanks for being part of the fun. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Talk to you again, Lord willing, next week. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Thanks again for being a Cross Defense podcast listener. Glad that you are here. God be praised for that. Hope you enjoyed the conversation today, that it was edifying and helpful to you and your theological imagination. I'd love to hear from you. Wolfmuller.co slash contact is the best way to get a hold of me. There's a lot more theology there at the website as well. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll look forward to talking to you again next week.